You're listening to the Living Presence Podcast, exploring faith, meeting the world, from East Gwillimbury, Ontario. Hello and welcome to the Living Presence podcast for Sunday, June 17th. My name is Brianne Swan and I am the Community Minister with the Living Presence Ministry, a community ministry of the United Church of Canada. So a happy, ever so slightly belated Father's Day to the daddies out there. If this is a celebration for you and your family, I wish you all the fun times possible. Each of my children attend different schools, and yet each son came home from class with a jar of handmade barbecue rub as a Father's Day gift for my husband. I'm not sure if this is an East Gwillimbury thing or what, but son number one even had a note that he clearly copied saying the gift was for our favorite grill master. The number of adorable assumptions in this is amusing that the dads eat meat, are competent on a barbecue, own a barbecue, etc., etc. So there's been a lot going on in the news this week, and I've been having a really hard time listening to Jeff Sessions and Sarah Huckabee Sanders quote or reference the Bible to justify policies that separate children from their parents as those parents attempt to create a better, safer life for their families. Here are the clips, in case you haven't heard them. I thought I'd take a little bit of digression here to uh, discuss some concerns raised by our church friends about separation of families. Many of the criticisms raised in recent days are not fair, not logical, and some are contrary to plain law. First, illegal entry into the United States is a crime. It should be, it must be, if you're going to have a legal system and have any limits whatsoever. Persons who violate the law of our nation are subject to prosecution. If you violate the law, you subject yourself to prosecution. And I would cite you to the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans uh, 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained, ordained the government for his purposes. Orderly and lawful processes are good in themselves. Consistent, fair application of law is in itself a good and moral thing and that protects the weak. It protects the law. On these uh, children who are being separated from their families as they come across the border. Uh, the Attorney General earlier today said that uh, somehow there's a justification for this in the Bible. Uh, where does it say in the Bible that it's moral uh, to take children away from their mothers? Uh, I'm not aware of the Attorney General's comments or uh, what he would be referencing. Uh, I can say that uh, it is very biblical to enforce the law. Uh, that is actually repeated a number of times throughout the Bible. However, this. Uh, hold on, Jim, if you'll let me finish. Quite frankly, 
This is bullshit. Even if we are able to put aside for a second the idea of the separation of church and state, it's crap like this that validates the skepticism some people have of Christians and Christianity or anything to do with church. So let's be clear here. If the law Sarah Sanders is talking about is from the Hebrew scriptures, the word we translate into English as law is not referring to government or state laws. In fact, law is a super poor translation. What would be closer is instruction or teaching. Jeff Sessions quoted from Romans a pretty famous bit about obeying the laws of the state because they are the agents of God. Well, Jeff is in really good company in quoting this passage because you want to know who else has quoted it? The U.S. government when justifying slavery. The South African government when justifying apartheid. Adolf Hitler had used this passage, and we can now add the current American administration to this list. It is appalling. The instruction here in Romans is to adhere to the law, but only if the law is a just law. And it's too bad that Jeff didn't keep reading. I mean, the whole thing is taken out of context, but if he had kept reading, he would have gotten to this part. Any other commandments are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Jesus was executed as a criminal. Early Christians were persecuted by the Roman Empire. So I'm not sure if Jeff Sessions is saying detained children are innocent martyrs or what. Or maybe Jeff Sessions is claiming that he is Caesar. The very group Paul was writing to in this letter was an illegal community. In first century Rome, Christianity and Roman law were not compatible and many Christians died refusing to burn incense in honor of the emperor. Now, usually I try to be gentle in my righteous indignation, but I admit I'm struggling right now. I am, as we all are, a work in progress. So with all of the love I can muster, I say this to the U.S. administration. Get it together. And please stop using crap interpretations of the Bible to justify crap policies and the breakup of families. Now, as a side note, I think it's really important to mention that in our uproar over the United States prosecuting asylum seekers as criminals and therefore separating them from their children, we also need to keep in mind that Canada separates Indigenous children from their parents at a far greater rate than non-Indigenous children. There are currently more First Nations kids in foster care than there were at the high point of the residential school era. Of course, kids who are in abusive situations should be protected. 
but many of these children are removed from their parents because of poverty and lack of access to food. I hope we can channel some of this outrage into something we actually have some say in because we are voting citizens in this country. On this week's show, we'll be talking about Father's Day, about nurturing little people, and about how Jesus is a really awful horticulturalist. Elements of the show have been adapted from a service I led at Schomburg and Nobleton United Churches. We'll be hanging out in the Gospel of Mark, hearing the parables of the sower and the mustard seed. Our second reading is from the first book of Samuel in the Hebrew Scriptures, where Samuel anoints David to lead his people. And both songs for this episode come from Los Angeles folk duo Mia and Jonah. You can find Mia and Jonah online at www.miaandjonah.com. Or, as always, you can find their music by checking out our show notes. To kick us off, here they are with their song Mustard Seed from their 2005 album Shine One. Child 
Hi, it's Brienne, and I am sitting on my front porch at the borough, surrounded by my husband's container garden. We've been living here at the Living Presence Ministry House for almost a year now, and we still do not have a yard. And so my husband has planted a bunch of herbs and some lettuces in and tomato plants in basically whatever container he's been able to find. And so right now I'm sitting beside some grapefruit mint and some rosemary and some chives. And uh, I am reading from Mark's gospel, chapter four, verses 26 to 34. He also said the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, and then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes out with his sickle because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. 
with many such parables he spoke the word to them, and they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. So many of you know I have two children. Son number one is six years old, and son number two is three going on 13. They're good guys. They love books, throwing rocks in the lake, and the Paw Patrol gang as much as any other preschoolers. They are also loud, and son number two in particular is a little bit opinionated. He has some very strong notions about fairness and justice. And he has a memory. This kid can remember a promise I made 12 months ago about getting popsicles the next time we go to the zoo. He is very clever, nobody's fool, and doesn't take nonsense from anybody. Especially not his parents. He's got all the personality traits I really value in adults, but they make him extraordinarily difficult to parent sometimes. We had a particularly stressful night this week where it took two hours to be able to get the guys down for bed. Son number two was thirsty, and then he needed Mama to snuggle him, and then he needed to go poo. And then he asked for Mama to snuggle him again, and she said no, so he asked Daddy to snuggle him. And then he played Daddy and said he hadn't had any water, he was thirsty, and he had to go to the bathroom. We've been trying to figure out what is the right thing to do. To snuggle him until he falls asleep, or be loving yet firm and insist he goes to sleep by himself. The parenting blogs I read all say different things, yet are equally judgy of parents whom they think are either indulging their kids or preventing them from forming healthy attachment. So I can't decide whether I'm creating a spoiled brat or a sociopath. When everybody, including my husband, was finally asleep, I was chatting with my friend online and said, Oh dear, this kid, he is either going to take over the world or end up in prison. I can't decide which yet. And my ever-helpful friend responded, those are not two mutually exclusive options. Now sometimes I know right away when some parenting failure I've committed is potentially harmful. In fact, when I was pregnant with son number one, I created a therapy jar. So anytime I do something where I think, huh, there's some permanent damage, I put in a toonie. Sort of like an investment for the future. Some families have college funds. We have a therapy fund. But it's really hard to know if the parenting choices we are being intentional about are going to pay off in the end. Many of you listening may be in a place along your parenting journey where you've been able to see the fruits of your labor. Or some of you without biological children maybe have been proxy parents and warm parental figures to children in your community. And maybe you wonder what influence you've held in their development. 
The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. In our gospel reading today, we get to hang out with our buddy Mark. And Jesus, via Mark, gives us two parables to play with, the sower and the mustard seed. In our first story, the farmer has no idea how or why the grain is growing. He simply plants it, hopes for the best, and recognizes when it has come to fruition and is time to harvest. They recognize when a good harvest is produced and hope that planting the seeds pays off. My kids are still young enough that I'm just hoping and praying that the seeds we are planting will reap a good harvest someday. And I'm not talking about getting into the best schools or securing some high-paying job. I'm talking about hoping and praying that they grow up to be kind to be critical thinkers, to question the status quo, and to love others and allow others to love them. I want them to speak out when they see injustice and act when they have the ability to make a difference. That would be a beautiful and bountiful harvest. I grew up on a farm And one of the crops that grew on my parents' land was mustard. So as long as I can remember when I've heard this parable, I've thought of the mustard seed in this story producing a beautiful yellow flower with edible leaves and seeds that can make, well, mustard, like to go on your hot dog. A highly desirable addition to any garden. But mustard in the Middle East is not the same as the mustard you see grown as a crop in Canada. The mustard Jesus is talking about, it's a weed. I'll post a picture of it in our show notes. It is a weed that will spread and take over any space it finds itself in. Now, in and of itself, being a weed isn't such a bad thing. I mean, rhubarb is a weed, and I'm constantly shocked when I see a small handful of the stuff selling for $6 at the local supermarket. But mustard, in Jesus' context, is not desirable. To be clear, you probably do not want a mustard shrub in your garden. And so I have a bunch of questions. Why would anybody plant a weed And why would one want it to grow large enough to block sunlight from the other plants? And why, oh why, would you want birds in your garden who are likely going to gobble up your cherry tomatoes? It is a good thing Jesus was trained as a carpenter because he would make a really terrible farmer. Yet, when it is sown... It grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. 
both of these stories that Jesus shares with the crowd are about the kingdom or the kingdom of God. In the first parable, we are asked to sow the seeds for the kingdom, even though we may not know how they will grow, but to have faith that the harvest is coming. Now, I can't think of any greater nurturing of the kingdom than teaching little people how to be decent human beings. Maybe that happens as parents, as fathers, or maybe we are placed in other nurturing roles. But regardless, we're never really sure where and how those efforts and seeds are going to pay off. But hopefully we are able to recognize when they do. So I'll get back to you in 15 years and let you know how my kids have turned out. With our teeny little mustard seed, the kingdom of God is likened to an undesirable weed that shields light from the other plants in the garden and offers refuge for the birds who may wreak havoc on the crop. But that teeny tiny mustard seed also grows up to be a blessing for others, for those who are undesirable, who are unwanted. Just as Jesus does time and time again, the tables are turned and turned over. The kingdom of God is a place where the least expected are invited, nourished, and have a chance to thrive. We'll hear in a little while a story which was also part of the church service in Nobleton and Schomburg about how a boy named David, the youngest, smallest, and least desirable of his brothers, was anointed by the prophet Samuel to lead his people. In this story, Jesus speaks of prioritizing an invasive weed that will potentially crowd out the cash crops in order to create a safe refuge for the birds. Hearing this, it is hard for me not to think of what is happening along the American and Mexican border right now. Those seeking asylum, those seemingly unwanted souls are the birds of the air and their babies are being ripped from the nest as the American government snatches the sickle and attempts to chop the kingdom down. And just one more thing, the greatest of all shrubs. What the hell is that? It's kind of like being the greatest cup of instant coffee or the greatest bologna sandwich. We live in a highly media-driven era of ambition and commercialism. There is always some way that we are not good enough and something we can buy to fix the problem. We can constantly check out our social media feeds to compare our lives to our friends, our co-workers, and even celebrities. We measure our bodies against computer-enhanced images that bear less semblance to reality than Jeff Sessions' understanding of New Testament scripture. We... Everybody, parents and dads too, are constantly made to feel less, less than enough. The mustard seed might grow up to be the greatest of all shrubs, but it is still a shrub 
In this telling of the parable, it's not the mightiest or greatest tree towering high over the garden. It is still a shrub. And to the birds, to those seeking nurture and refuge, that's enough. And you know what, fellow pilgrims? So are we. If we are a blessing to others, then we are enough. So often as parents, we are striving to reach some unattainable threshold of perfection. But really, are we a shelter and refuge for our children? Do we do our best to nurture, to teach, to play? Are we a blessing? If so, then parents and especially dads, you are enough. Congratulations, you are the greatest of all shrubs. And to your children, the greatest of all fathers. Our second song this week is also from Mia and Jonah, and also from their 2005 album, Shine One. This is their piece, Warm Wind. Of our feet, 
plants you couldn't keep in that old extra retreat. We set sail tonight. Now we're sailing on our warning. Now we're sailing on our of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him. Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. The following prayer was adapted from a piece by the United Methodist Church in the United States, and it was read during the Schomburg and Nobleton United Church service 
on June 17th, 2018. Loving and merciful God, whose power is beyond our scope and whose wisdom is beyond our understanding, we turn to you in faith, assured that you know our every emotion and are aware of our every need. Our thoughts and prayers today are turned towards our fathers. For those whose fathers have increased the joy in their lives, we give you thanks. For those whose father's presence is greatly missed, may we take time to gratefully recall all that they have given to us, providing for us in our growing. For those whose fathers have recently been lost, or who are facing the imminent loss of their own fathers, may they find comfort in their grief, hope in their despair, courage in their love that their fathers have given them. We give thanks, God, for those good men who sustain and support us in our living and who love us no matter what. What a blessing they are to all who know them. We give thanks to you for all of those whose gift for fatherhood is so strong that they have allowed their caring to spill over into the lives of others, providing the guidance and stability and the nurture and love needed to thrive. How distressing it is for us to consider that not all fathers have been good fathers. So we pray for those whose fathers have been a source of hurt and pain, and for all those for whom one or more members of their family have caused them to suffer. May their wounds be healed, and may they find in you, in us and in others, the nurturing, sustaining love that is needed for their growth and well-being. We recall with sadness fathers who are separated from their children through life choices made both by them and through the actions of others, particularly when that separation occurs because of unjust systems, governments, and their leaders. Give them the insight and wisdom and courage and perseverance to parent in whatever creative and life-giving ways are open to them. Give them the courage to make the decisions which allow their children to prevail. Allow leaders to see the faces of their own children in the faces of those children aching for their own fathers. We pray for those fathers whose relationships with their children have been difficult or disappointing. We pray too for those who have been denied a chance to be fathers and for those whose years of parenting have been cut short by the loss of a child. And we join all fathers everywhere in praying that their children may be well and happy a source of joy for years to come. 
Hear our prayers this day, O God, and grant to us assurance of your love that your love may spill forth from us into the lives of others. Thank you so much for listening this week, despite our ongoing technical issues. We'll be back next time with a special Pride-themed episode taken from elements of the church service I'll be leading at Schomburg and Nobleton United Churches next week. We'll be hearing some fun new music and listening to the story of David and Goliath. But until then, take care of yourselves, and we'll see you soon. brought to you by the Living Presence Ministry, a community ministry of the United Church of Canada. You can find us online at www.livingpresenceministry.org.